Welcome to episode four of Through the Noise with me, Alex Banks. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Josh Bonazel. So Josh is vice president and part of the founding team at Future, a platform that brings human connection to digital personal training. To date, they've raised over $110 million, recently closing a $75 million Series C round at the start of February, including participation from NBA star Kevin Durant's firm, 35 Ventures, Fabletics co-founder Kate Hudson, and golfer Rory McIlroy. Josh is also a venture partner at TXV Partners, an early-stage venture capital firm based in Austin, Texas, investing in the future of software and human performance. Prior to future, Josh was director of men's basketball sports performance at Purdue University and strength and conditioning coach for the Chicago Bulls. Now, I've been super excited to do this one. So, Josh, thank you for joining me today. Man, thank you for having me. It's uh, It's been fun kind of getting to know you originally through uh, Twitter. And then I think we were able to first chat maybe a couple months ago. So it's been it's been fun building that relationship and just watching your journey. <laughs> Josh, really appreciate it. Now, I would love to know a little bit more about you and the beginning. I know you're a diehard Bulls fan, but what was the course to you now being part of the founding team at Future? Yeah, so um, I'll kind of I'll try to give the abbreviated version, but um, we certainly can dive deeper into any of it if it, if it's interesting. But yeah, like you said, you know, I I grew up. Um, you know, my childhood was really smack in the middle of the, the 90s Bulls and, and the dynasty. And I, I grew up about an hour and a half north of Chicago in a small town in Wisconsin called Lake Geneva. And so um, naturally, you know, I was a diehard Bulls fan, Jordan, Pippen, you know, all of that. Uh, still posters on my wall in my childhood bedroom. And um, so from really as early as I can remember, uh, you couldn't tell me any different. I was going to play for the Bulls one day. And um, sort of unbeknownst to me, uh, but well known to everyone around me, I wasn't that good at basketball. You know, in, in my mind, I think I had an irrational confidence of, of how, how good I was. Uh, but that was really never in the cards for me, to, to be honest. Uh, but fortunately, I, you know, I think that kind of love of just basketball and um, you know, my own preparation and, and how can I become a better athlete to in turn become a better basketball player. And so I'd kind of poured myself into that at a really early age. And through that process, um, I'd come to realize that this was a real job. You know, you could, you could go and work for an NBA team and be the director of sports performance or strength and conditioning coach where you're, you know, you're managing all those things around um, building their athleticism, but, you know, getting them stronger, fitter, faster, um, and also ultimately uh, helping players to stay healthy. And so it was late high school, early college, um, where that became, in my mind, still, you know, my, my backup plan. Um, but, you know, I think I was at least wise enough to, to know, um, you know, if, if I'm not going to play for the Bulls, I'm going to find another way in. And so even, you know, when I was probably 16, 17, I was already studying people who were in positions that I wanted to get to one day um, and just looking at, you know, success leaves clues. So what was their path? Um, what were the commonalities, what were the outliers, um, and just trying to model after really successful people. And fast forward, that led to my very first opportunity out of college was actually an internship with the Bulls. And so that was kind of my full circle moment um, because actually going back to when I was in third grade, I had a teacher who gave us a, a classroom assignment, like write a, write a letter to your future self 15 years from today, um, you know, where will you be? What will you be doing? Um, and I still have no idea how she did it, but 15 years later, I got that letter in the mail and I was actually in my first or second week as an intern with the Bulls. So I was still living at home with my parents and commuting, you know, an hour and a half, two hours each way every single day. And, and so I came home one day, I get this letter in the mail 
and open it up. It was just one line from my third grade self. It said, I will be the starting point guard for the Chicago Bulls. And so for me, that was that was that moment where it was like, I'm not playing point, but I found another way in. And, um, you know, even out of that opportunity, it was like, how can I leverage this into a full-time role, not just an internship? So I basically approached every single day as though today is my, is my job interview. Um, today's the day that they're going to decide whether or not, you know, they want to hire me. And, and fast forward a year later, they did. Um, so I, I went on, spent the next three seasons as the assistant strength coach, uh, had some really good years. My, my final year was the year Derrick Rose won the MVP. We had the best record in, in the NBA. And so, you know, even from that, uh, as a young, you know, I started when I was 22, my last year with the Bulls, I was 27. So as a young professional, I learned a lot about um, the traits of high performers and, and building, you know, championship caliber teams and, and building culture. And anyways, was able to take that to an opportunity with Purdue University to be the director of men's basketball there, um, where I was able to build out the, the program over a seven-year span. And kind of all along the way, I realized there was something bigger that I wanted for myself beyond just, you know, being a head strength coach in the NBA. Um, and it led me down this path of why couldn't I be the GM of an NBA team? And so I, I kind of went back to my, you know, 17, 18 year old self. And, you know, again, let me go study the, the people that I look up to that are in those roles. So in particular, Bob Myers, Theo Epstein, um, and what was their journey to get there? And the thing that I saw that stood out was they both had their JD. And so my last year at Purdue, I was all set. I, I scrambled. I took the LSAT. Um, I was starting to get acceptance letters back from different law schools. And my plan was whatever city I went to law school, I was going to work in the front office um, for that NBA team. You know, through my relationships, I kind of had that lined up. Um, and that was my path. And out of nowhere, uh, it would have been late January, about a little over four years ago now, um, I got an email about Future. And at the time, Future is this tiny Siege Sage startup, had, had just raised $3 million, but, you know, literally no website and, and quite honestly, barely a product. Um, you know, our founding, our, our co-founders were able to raise that $3 million based on the strength of, of their reputation and their track record and, you know, what they'd each done individually in sort of Silicon Valley tech world um, and the strength of the idea. But it was still, you know, we had to we had to go prove it. And so I get this email and, and it was really fortuitous at the time because I was ready to make a pretty crazy leap as it was. Um, and so, you know, normally I think I probably would have ignored that email, but it was kind of that moment of like, fuck it. Like, I'll, I'll just take this call, see what it's about. It's, it's probably a scam, but, you know, I'll find out. And um, took the call, spent a couple months getting to know my co-founders and understanding the problem space that we're in and what we're trying to solve, which is ultimately, you know, 80% of us will one day die of some type of, uh, you know, chronic type disease that's, in, you know, largely preventable. So think diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, um, obesity, things like that. And our solution, Rishi, our, our CEO and, and founder, um, you know, the idea he, he had was, well, what if we could pair everyone with a coach the same way as someone like Derek Rose has? Um, and not just somebody random, you know, down the street who had a, you know, weekend certification course, but somebody high level, you know, somebody who's truly an expert, um, who's now also in your life with you every single day. And so obviously that solution made sense to me because it was what I'd spent my entire career doing. And another side of it, so my role was one to figure out how could this work without us physically being there with you. And then two, uh, to build the team and, you know, to go out there and actually find and recruit and attract these really high level coaches to leave jobs, you know, in the NBA or major league baseball or college or wherever, and come to this 
you know, tiny startup that doesn't even have a website. And so that was kind of the, the other side of it was that GM itch I had of, you know, being able to build a team and really the team behind a team. Um, I quickly realized this was going to give me that opportunity. And, you know, I was fortunate to have a, a pretty strong decision-making circle of um, close friends from, especially my time in Chicago, who have all been very successful in the tech and startup world. And, and uh, you know, so they're advising me throughout. And the one thing that stood out to me that they all said was, you know, in one year, this absolutely will fail. There's no maybe, there's no 99%, 100% this will fail. Either you don't raise your next round and so you're out of money or you absolutely hate it or both of those things are going to happen. Um, that's inevitable. With that in mind, you have to do this because in one year, you'll grow five years professionally. Just with everything you'll be exposed to, the people you'll meet, you know, and, and sort of this everything you thought you would get from law school, this opportunity is going to be that on, on steroids. And so, um, I made the leap and yeah, you know, four years later, uh, we're still around, like you said, just raised our, our series C and, and team is growing massively several hundred coaches now all full-time salaried. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been quite a wild ride. It's such a phenomenal story to hear, to hear that impeccable growth and I think studying the greats from an early age and looking for those patterns is so important in changing your own mindset even when you get what you want when actually entering the path from a different angle than what you thought out to be I think dialing in a little bit more with future the centers for disease control and prevention they conducted a report at the start of this year and they found that 25% of adults in the U.S. are considered physically inactive with the highest inactivity yeah. rate in Puerto Rico and the lowest in Colorado. So shout out to last week's guest, Greg Moran, for keeping Colorado's numbers down with those, <laughs> uh, with those early morning hikes. But yeah. my question to you, Josh, is how is Futures product enabling a solution to address this startling lack of motivation to exercise? Yeah, well, you know, I think it's it's the human element, um, and in in really studying the problem, um, yeah, you you see these alarming trends of of as you said, um, and I think it's actually depending on where you look, I think it's actually even as high as as eighty percent of our population are either not active enough or at all. Um, and when you look, when you when you kind of do the the like five whys analysis, um, and you get to sort of the root cause, it's not it's not for a lack of trying. It's not because you know people are lazy. Um, in fact, every single year we see it with whether it be New Year's resolutions, um, you know, or or things like that. Uh, people set a goal, they make a decision, this is the year, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start working out, I'm gonna get into shape. Um, and they might go really hard there for a week, two weeks, you know, whatever. And um, that intensity sort of fades over time. And so what you find, and, and, you know, you may even be this way yourself, but certainly, you, you know, people who, who do this constantly is, is you're trying the latest fad, you're trying you know, something uh, that worked for someone else, and but it, it just doesn't end up working for you. Um, and so then the other part you look at is, well, you know, are those solutions available? You know, if, if, if you truly are motivated to be active, um, do those solutions exist? And quite honestly, they do. Um, you know, and, and I think we're at a point in human history where the there's an absolute abundance of sort of available resources. I mean, you can literally just search the internet and you can find um, different workout plans. You can find apps, you can find videos. Um, certainly there's all kinds of actually amazing products out there. When you think Peloton, Tonal, um, even some of these different rowing machines and, and, you know, and then of course there's in-person gyms. Um, or, or like Orange Theory Berries Bootcamp, all of these things are phenomenal. 
However, the the missing piece to it all is, you know, if you think of something like a Peloton, um, when you hit that moment in time where, you know, maybe you lose motivation or life gets crazy and you get super busy, um, you know, or there's a change to your routine and you stop, say, riding Peloton, um, you know, when you when you stop, when there's that interruption, there's no human connection there to support you and help you through those moments to also identify, um, you know, based on how your routine has just changed, based on what you have going on, how you're feeling, all these things. Here's how I'm going to provide a solution to you to meet you where you're at and make fitness, make working out fit your life. As opposed to, I think with everything else, it's truly you have to fit your life to whatever the thing is. You know, if we think going and seeing a trainer in person um, or going to a class or, you know, things like that, that class is at a very specific time. You know, it's 5 to 6 p.m. And maybe you run late with work or whatever it is. Now you can't make that class. And so with Future, you know, what we're doing is very similar to the the solution that you see with pro athletes and wealthy people, billionaires is, I mean, they literally have a coach who is on demand for them, you know? And, and like, if you think when, when I was with the bulls, if somebody wanted to work out, they'd hit me up and I'd meet them at, at the facility to take it a step further. A lot of these people with kind of unlimited resources, um, they'll call their coach, their coach will show up to their house. You know, if they travel, their coach is going with them. And so, through technology, and that was the bet that we made, is through technology, we can do that for you. We can be in your life no matter where you are, no matter what's going on. We're literally in your pocket with you at all times, uh, you know, one text away. You pull out your phone, you can you can access your coach. Um, but beyond that, you know, your, your coach is proactive too. They're, they're checking in with you. Um, they're following up after you work out. But I think the the what makes this work and, and frankly what makes um coaching say with professional athletes or billionaires work is at the core of it there's a relationship you know there's there's a genuine care for one another like when i coach someone like derrick rose joakim noah um those are people that very quickly become family to me those are people that become you know brothers to me because also we're in each other's lives every single day. And so it's so much bigger than just working out. It's, you know, I'm getting to know about who are the most important people in their life. What do they care about? You know, where are they from? Where did they grow up? What are their fears? What are their, you know, what are they passionate about? Um, and so all along the way, you're sort of, and, and we talk about it at future, but you're sort of collecting dots by getting curious about this other person so that you can connect those dots later um, and through that, what you're ultimately doing is forming a tribe with that other person. And when you form a tribe, what you're doing is building trust. And now when you build trust in those moments, like I talked about, where say maybe you, you stop working out or you fall off or you, you know, kind of get down on yourself and, and maybe you're ready to, to give up and quit because we have that trust. And also because I know you. I can understand how to help you in that moment, whether to put an arm around you um, and just support you or whether to kind of give you a kick in the ass and, and give you some tough love. But now I can ride the highs and lows with you uh, of, of sort of your life. And that's what we see in those high level coaching relationships is um, that is the through line where when you look at any pro athlete, any billionaire, if they if they give a shit at all about managing their day-to-day -day health, they're overwhelmingly successful because they've outsourced every aspect of it. Um, and, you know, they have people around them who are basically setting the plan for them and keeping them go, keeping them going um, when they might otherwise fall off. And, and so that, that was our bet of like, how do we reverse this trend? Yeah, I think the human element is 
everything and the relationship and genuine care that that you mentioned josh especially when we think about performance and getting the best from your body and mind now josh you're currently vice president of performance at future i'd love to hear your take on what human performance truly means you know honestly i think it's it's a bit of a loaded question because you know i think human performance means something different for everyone um, and I also think it, it, it means something different for each of us individually at different points um, in, in our lives. And, and also, you know, sort of what are we optimizing for? Um, I, I think, it, you know, ultimately, to me, um, I, I think of confidence. You know, he, when, when we talk human performance, oftentimes your mind goes to athletes and and athletic feats and and you know sporting events and being able to perform at the highest level um and and i think you know especially say at future with coaching and with talking about um you know we we help you to optimize your your human performance like you said that means something different for all of us and so you know i might be a an investor or or a ceo business person a teacher whoever it is, um, you know, every single day that I teach that I get up in front of a classroom, I'm actually giving a performance, you know, and there are, there are many aspects and, and I think we're going to get into this in, in a second, but there, you know, there are foundational aspects that go into you being able to be the best version of you. Um, and I, and I think that's what human performance really ultimately, um, if, if you were to sum it up is, um, what allows you at whatever the thing it is that you're doing to be the best version of you. And and I think the, the through line there to me is, is confidence. Um, You know, I think you see it with uh, say, you know, a founder who's going out to uh, raise money to, to start a company and and you got to get up in in front of a room of, of partners at, at a big VC fund and, you know, it's, it's, it's intimidating, it's nerve wracking, it's, you know, whatever. Um, if you don't have confidence in that moment to present your pitch deck, um, and you're not kind of like locked in, in terms of you're well rested, your, your mind is sharp, you, you feel good. Um, and ultimately, if you don't have confidence, that presentation is probably not going to go so well. Um, and, and that's going to impact, you know, your ability of like, can I actually start this company and raise money? It's the same thing you see um, like NBA playoffs right now. When we watch these different guys, uh, I'm trying to think, you know, Jimmy Butler the, the other night um, for the Heat just absolutely went off. And and I think there's, there's a level of, obviously he's put the work in to be able to have that type of a performance. But if he doesn't have the confidence in that moment where he needs, where he's called upon to perform, um, he's not going to be able to go out and, and be the best version of himself. And I, and I think what that confidence leads to is it allows you to per- perform in a, in a flow state, you know, and, and obviously and we don't have to get into this here, but there's all types of research on um, just being in flow. We hear it with athletes. It's, you know, when you, when you talk to an even like that with Jimmy Butler scoring 45 or whatever it was, um, it, it, you know, people will say he was in the zone. Um, and what is the zone? It's, it's being in flow state. It's being able to just kind of operate and get creative and just do. And, and I don't even really have to think about it. And, you know, if you think about, again, going back to that example of, uh, say, uh, you know, a founder getting up in front of a, a you know, room of, of, general partners at a, at a venture fund and, and given that pitch, when it goes really well, you, you come out of it and you're like, man, I was like, I was in the zone. I was, cause you were just in this state of flow. You, and, and, but without confidence, you cannot access that flow state. And then I don't think you can get, you can still perform well, but I don't think you can get to optimal performance. Yeah, you mentioned confidence there being really the key factor that comes into play, yeah. which which determines human performance and allowing you to find your flow state. What would then be some of the similarities and perhaps differences between, say, a high-performance athlete and a world-class CEO? 
Yeah. Um, you know, I think to me where it, where it starts is, um, you know, for, for each of us, it's, it's even in how we label ourselves and, and, you know, so I think anyone that, that, that I work with, um, whether they are the uh, traditional, what we think of as the traditional definition of, of an athlete, you know, someone who plays basketball or football or, or soccer, tennis, golf, you know, whatever, um, esports, you know, all of these, all of these elements, traditional sport is where we think of an athlete. Um but you know, ultimately, I think it's it's important, and and I do think with the top performers um, across industry, so like a world class CEO, you know, typically what you find is they are treating themselves as an athlete, and it's something that I believe strongly is, you know, we should all look at ourselves as an athlete um, because you know the 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 underpinning of that. Um, is really managing the factors that drive our, you know, near and long-term health outcomes, you know, especially getting back to um, what I touched on in the beginning and the, and the problem that we're trying to solve at Future, which is ultimately, you know, build preventative healthcare and help people live um, both longer lives and higher quality lives. And, you know, ultimately, that's that's dictated primarily by truly four things it's how we move how we eat how we sleep and how we manage our stress um you know and i think oftentimes and and of course it's changing now you know especially with the the pandemic has brought each of our personal health you know front and center but um i i think oftentimes when you look at it and you think about you know uh working out and eating healthy and sleeping well and managing stress, we, we often think about it for athletes. Again, going back to that example of, of Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler has to really manage those four things uh, really, really well. And fortunately, obviously, as a team around him that helped him do that in order to go out and have that type of performance where he's in a flow state and he, he's doing things where people are like, man, he's you know in the top 1% of what it is that he does. Similarly, for a world-class CEO, I think it's absolutely critical. Like, if I want to be a top, you know, 1% CEO, and look, there's always outliers. There's always exceptions to the rule. Same thing in sports. Uh, but on the whole, if I want to put myself in, in the best position to be in the top, you know, 1% of whatever it is that I do, and frankly, even just being, you know, being a being a husband, being a wife, being a parent, being a, a son, a daughter, like being the best friend and family member I, I can be, you know, I think ultimately comes down to th those four things. Um, and so when you talk similarities, and, and I think you're seeing it more and more now, where if you look at the world's best CEOs and some of the wealthiest people, they're trying to model again, how they manage those things off of how elite athletes do it by, you know, again, having, having their own personal coach, having their own personal chef, having, you know, this team, um, this team around them. Um, and what you're seeing more and more now is like you hear, especially these, these elite CEOs, like they're talking about their, their health stack. And so they have a, an aura ring, a levels patch, a, um, you know, an eight sleep bed, like whatever it is. And they're tracking all of this data, um, which truly is coming from elite sport. And that's what you see in elite sport is, um, you know, even whether it was with the Bulls or at Purdue, you know, every practice, every game, we're tracking GPS data. So like how much distance are guys covering? How fast are they running? How many times are they sprinting? All these type of things, along with, you know, their heart rate data. How hard did they have to work to do what they did? their heart rate variability, how well are they recovering, you know, all these things so that we can get to um, an N equals one approach to optimizing their performance. In other words, an individualized approach, whereas typically, especially as it goes for the general public, you know, we've not been able to, to have that human being who can make sense of all of this personalized data about myself as well as, you know, wh where I'm at um, 
just kind of what's going on with my day-to-day life and, and stress and individualizing that approach. And so I think you you see that with world-class CEOs, they're, they're able to perform at such a high level um, because they're managing those things very similarly to, to how we see elite athletes. And, and it's sort of, you know, what, what I'm encouraged by is I think nowadays um, health is wealth. You know, it's, it's literally, it's, it's, it's a way in which uh, people, so it, it's like a status symbol. You know, you see, uh, uh, who is it? Shamath, like last year, and he, he tweets the, the thirst trap photo. But it's like Shamath is, is a billionaire, so he has the resources to have a chef, to have a coach, to have all these things. And that's a bit of a status symbol, is, is being really fit and strong and, and healthy. Um, and it's also a way of, like, extending our time here, here on Earth. Um, and so, you know, I'm encouraged by that because it used to be, you know, more abundance. It used to, if we think back to, you know, the times of, of kings and emperors, you always think of like really fat kings. And that was like the status symbol was, you know, to there was just abundance of wine and good food and all this. And, and now it's changing. Um, and, and so, you know, I think as that happens at the elite level, it's, it's driving awareness um, and it's, you know, now aspirational, um, but it's allowing for the development of all these different, you know, products and, and avenues to, to manage our health. So, you know, that was, that was kind of a long winded uh, piece of, you know, getting to the root of those critical factors that drive performance. Um, And then, you know, from just, I would say like an approach perspective, it's, it's the discipline. Like when you think of, you know, again, I was fortunate to work with, with Derek from the time he was rookie uh, of the year to his third year and, and he was an MVP. And then, uh, you know, on the outside, someone like Kobe, uh, being with the Bulls, hearing all of the stories about MJ. Um, and, you know, I think there's just this, this incredible discipline um, that, that exists with these people to, to be a Kobe Bryant. Your, your discipline has to be just off the charts. There's going to be way more days uh, than not that you don't want to show up to the gym. Like, like, you know, most of those days, I don't think Kobe wanted to get up at, you know, 3 a.m., but he had the discipline that he knew if he didn't do it, somebody else was going to. Um, and I think you see that with the top CEOs is that ability to, to work in the dark, that ability to just keep showing up every single day. It's one of the things that I, I talk about a lot is showing up as a skill. Um, and, and it sounds, it sounds funny and, and, uh, kind of cheesy, but what you realize is 99% of people won't do it like every single day, day in, day out, no matter how you feel, no matter what's going on, um, any of that to still show up, I I think is, is a through line. Um, and also the, the traditional concept of, of balance, most people would consider out of whack, like look at someone like Kobe does he fit your traditional work-life balance, you know, have, you know, 50-50 type? Absolutely not. But I think what, you know, Kobe was incredible at was he just had this switch. And there are times and there are also seasons where if you want to be world-class in anything, and again, I think you see this with CEOs, you have to flip that switch all the way on for work. And other parts of your life are going to uh, – you're going to sacrifice a little bit, you know, but then you got to be able to pick those spots where you flip that switch off for work to be with say family, you know, and, and it's even in the course of the day where, you know, I think when, when Kobe's not working out and he's, he's with his family, like he's, you gotta be, you gotta be there. You gotta be present. And so it's, it's flipping that switch. Yeah, I'm big on that compartmentalization that you mentioned there, Joshua, and sort of having clear dividers between how you allocate your time. Mm-hmm. I think from these ideas of, you know, measurement, prevention and discipline, all three that you mentioned there, what advice then would you give to founders and operators when they're optimizing their own performance? Yeah. Um, so, again, I, you know, I think it, it, it starts in that um, – it's going to be a different approach for everyone and it should be 
Um, and, you know, so again, drilling down to that N equals one, you know, I think, I think the first thing that you need to look at and, and it's what you do with, with, uh, with pro athletes is, is sort of a needs analysis. Um, and so kind of take an inventory on, you know, where are you currently? Um, and, and so you could think, uh, Maybe a good uh, 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 parallel or metaphor is, is think about like the the NFL Combine or or something like that, where many of us have probably watched uh, the NFL Combine, where it's a bit of a meat market, but they you know they run these draft prospects through all different types of tests, um, you know, athletic tests, mental tests, like all this stuff, forty yard dash, change of direction, vertical jump, um, all these sorts of things, and you know, ultimately what you're doing is, is truly a needs analysis. You're creating a profile of who this athlete is. In that case, it's, it's both physical and, um, and, and mental. Um, and then you're looking at, you know, what, what are their strengths, um, the things that are going to separate them, the things that are going to be their superpowers that are going to give them an advantage. Um, but then also on the flip side of that, not just what are their weaknesses, because we all have weaknesses and, and, and some of them, you know, many of them, in fact, I think you can probably just ignore largely. Um, but what are the limiting factors to their performance? And so I think if you take that example of a needs analysis, that's the advice that I would give to founders and operators when you think about optimizing your own performance is first take that inventory. Do a needs analysis. If you think, and, and again, let's boil it down to those four things. So how you move, how you, and literally ask these questions. How are you moving? How often are you moving? How well are you moving? Um, how you eat? How are you eating? You know, do an assessment there. How are you sleeping? And how are you managing your stress? Um, and what I would do is I would identify which one of those four areas, one of them has to be a strength, at least relative to the others, and or one of them maybe you are um, more passionate about, you know, uh, um, or you're better set up to be successful in that one area uh, based on either current behavior or past behavior or um, even the environment around you. Um, so identify that. Where, where is your strength of those four variables? Um, because I think that then can become your anchor to improve the others. And then where's your biggest weakness? What is kind of your, your limiting factor? And, um, you know, to probably use, use my own example of um, my sort of life and routine being upended, going from, you know, think about it, my entire career for better than 10 years when I stepped outside of my office, I was in a gym. I was literally in a weight room with a basketball court next to it with every single resource you could ever have for working out and, and things like that. And then when I went to the, the tech world, now I'm in an office. And it was the first time in my life I experienced what, you know, everyone else experiences with the, the challenges of of working out and, and getting to a gym and, and things like that. And so you know, in, in my journey in the tech world, um, I really struggled in that first year, year and a half, because when we talk about that switch, my switch was all the way on for work. Again, going back of, you know, everyone said 100% future will fail in one year. And for me taking the leap, that was not an option. Um, and so I was literally working from the time I woke up, you know, five or 6 a.m., um, starting to already answer emails, get ready for meetings, things like that until the time I went to bed. And many days, you know, that was 12 or 1 a.m. So I wasn't, I wasn't getting good sleep. I was, you know, not eating well because I typically, you know, I would walk home, I'd find um, whatever place is still open serving food, you know, past midnight. And I would just sit down at the bar, order some food. Um, I wasn't working out. Uh, you know, I had my anchor and I think we'll probably talk about this later, but I, I still ran Hills every Wednesday, every Sunday. So I had that anchor, but beyond that, I was not working out. Um, and then I was sleeping horribly a lot of days, less than six hours. And so for me, I looked at, it, I go, okay, well, what is, what is my strength? My strength is working out or what can be my strength. So let me start there. 
Um, and, and in my case, I made it a commitment. Um, let me just do 15 minutes of movement today. And then when tomorrow happens, let me do it again and again. And I just made it, I made it a daily thing. Um, and so that became my anchor. My weakness, in my opinion, or, or the, the biggest limiting factor was my sleep. Um, and so I said, okay, let me, you know, I've struggled with that often because I'm a night owl, but let me at least try to work towards that. But by focusing on the workouts, that's something that's going to give me confidence. That's something that's going to be an anchor. And even, you know, and there's a lot of science behind this, but just the energy exertion, the physical activity, you know, not only everything that's doing for sort of my mental and, and releasing stress, but, you know, really it's another thing that's just helping me to be more fatigued, to be able to, you know, fall asleep at night. Um, and now when you, when, when I really lean on that strength as my anchor for me working out, um, start to be intentional about bringing up that limiting factor sleep and you start to put those two things together it become and 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 you do it consistently you know you don't have to it doesn't have to be big it, it can be very small but you know everything big starts small a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step and then from there it's it's compounding and it's really remarkable what happens when you do that day in day out because it starts to become a virtuous cycle. Now, because I'm working out every day, I'm more aware of what am I putting into my body in terms of what am I eating? What am I drinking? You know, even like drinking less alcohol, things like that, because I'm more aware of what I'm putting into my body. I'm drinking less alcohol, you know, less sugar, things like that. Um, it's, it's, you know, that with working out is helping me to manage my stress because then I'm managing my stress better, I'm sleeping better. And it just becomes this virtuous cycle. Whereas I think oftentimes before we do that needs analysis, um, it can often be a vicious cycle. You know, I'm, I'm not working out. So then I'm not thinking about what I'm eating. So I'm eating like crap. So now those two things going together, I have a lot more just available stress hormones, cortisol in that in my body. I have a lot more anxiety, on and on. And so now I'm not, I'm not sleeping. So, um, all of that to say, what is your strength of those four things? Find that, let that be your anchor, focus on that every single day. What is your biggest weakness? What is your limiting factor? And even just make, make us make a small step there. Yeah, I'm totally with you there, Josh. I think starting small and focusing on those incremental improvements to get that 1% better each day, I guess pivoting slightly, Alongside Future, you're a venture partner at TXV mm -hmm. Partners, which exclusively invests in software and human performance. So yeah. how do these two roles complement one another? Yeah, so, you know, and, and I think it's really interesting um, even kind of how that role with, with TXV came about. Um, ultimately, what I would say is it's, it's very similar to even what we're doing with, with Future. At, at future in um, you know really uh, creating a category and 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 making high level coaching available accessible um, for you know anyone anywhere um, we at future have the opportunity to sit at the center of this ecosphere of you know, sort of human performance. And so again, going back to the, the problem that, um, you know, in starting future Rishi, our CEO identified, um, which is, you know, uh, um, really preventive healthcare and, and like, how do we put hospitals out of business from a reactive standpoint, you know, of, of, the way things are set now, it's not until the point where you have obesity, you, you, or you, sorry, you are obese, you have diabetes, you have hypertension, heart disease, these things where now you, you get specialized care and treatment and, and on and on. And, and so, um, getting to the root of that problem and, and helping you to manage, uh, how you move, how you eat, how you sleep and, and how you manage your stress 
really what sits at the center of that of of really taking a n equals one ap- approach is is having a coach and so with future it's really interesting because the more you see these these different brands emerge when when you talk about connected fitness so um you know mirror tempo tonal peloton hydro th- these type of arena these types of companies um, the more you see an emergence with um, data and, and wearables. So again, Aura Ring, Whoop, Levels, uh, even Apple Watch, things like this that, that are telling us specifically about our individualized data um, and other things in that space of human performance, truly a coach sits at the center of that. And so um you know, with, with future, and it's something that we, we talk about often is, you know, I think we have the ability, whereas many companies are going to be competitors in the space, I think we have the ability to work collaboratively with any company just about in the space because it's it's in the spirit of, you know, how do we help hundreds of millions of people? And I think you do that by um, come together with all these great brands. So what a coach is going to do, a coach is going to figure out that, you know what, you really enjoy um, doing like spin class and bike rides and stuff like that. So a coach is going to encourage you to ride Peloton and to ride Peloton more often, because that's one way in which we can manage your health. Um, you, you know, maybe we, we want to get your sleep under control. A coach is going to encourage you to get an aura ring. And then so that together they can take in that data with you and help educate you on what that data means and, and how then we are adjusting things in, in sort of your, your daily plan to, um, you know, drive, drive behavior change and, and meet you where you are on, on any given day and find, you know, what, what's optimal for you. And so it's really interesting with future. We sit at the center of that and now at TXV in, in my venture role, um, we are working with, at TXV, we are working to sit at the center of the human performance space and ultimately invest in the companies that are going to collectively solve this problem of helping us all manage our day-to-day health. So it's all of the companies that in some way or another tie into, again, how we move, how we eat, how we sleep and, and how we manage our, our stress. And so there's just there's there's kind of a natural synergy and alignment there of everything that I'm doing and have been doing in my role at Future. Um, a big part of my role is is you know I've I've over the last four years really worked very intentionally to be be aware of what uh, what companies are emerging and who are the people behind these companies and reaching out and building relationships with each of these different founders. Um, you know, even in other so like Wellery is a good example is nutrition coaching company BioLoop Bio now Crescent Sleep is a sleep coaching company. Um, so establishing relationships with the, these different founders because there's going to come a time where for us to to truly you know unlock uh, uh, health and and quality of life and longevity um, for millions and millions of people you know, I think we're going to need to work together. And and so interestingly, it's like all of those relationships I've been building there, you know, transition quite naturally to the, to the other side of the table and, and being involved with TXV and, and actually writing checks into these companies and helping to advise some of these founders um, because also out of those relationships that exist, I, I think it sets the potential for, um, you know, mutually beneficial, say, partnerships that could emerge with, you know, Future and, and some of these other companies. And, and honestly, even the opportunity for me to, to become a venture partner at TXV uh, started with a, a relationship. You know, TXV was one of our very first investors at Future. In fact, even a little before I joined, uh, they invested in our seed round. And that was actually TXV's very first investment. And so out of that, uh, Marcus Stroud in particular, who's the CEO, founder of, of TXV, was someone who was always um, reaching out to help us at, at Future and finding ways to 
to add value beyond just the check. And, and through that, um, you know, Marcus and I developed quite a strong relationship over the last two plus years as, as someone outside of our company that I was having regular one-on-ones with um, that was helping me to kind of navigate the space and what we're doing with future. Um, and then naturally I was kind of putting him in touch with um, some of the different founders I was getting to know. And I was helping him think about different investments and things like that. Um, and together, I think we have very much the shared mission. The reason why TXV invested in, in future in the first place is because TXV's mission is central to future's mission. It's, it's really, it's, it's one in the same and, and, you know, ultimately it's, it's reinventing, um, how we manage our, our personal health. Yeah. Putting hospitals out of business. That's a great line, Josh. Uh, or, or I, I guess the overlap between TXV and Future. How does then TXV plan on continue building a portfolio within human performance? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think it's uh, it's interesting because obviously it's it's still so early um, in in the human performance space, especially as you're seeing, you know, because not really what it is. All of these companies have some form of tech enabled. Um, and, and so truly it's, it's the first time we're starting to see this emergence and, and a lot of these, there's, there's many companies out, out there in the space that are going to become category creators. Um, and you know, when you think category creators, you think, uh, you know, Uber is probably the, maybe the best, most recent example that we're all familiar with is Uber created the category of rideshare. You know, if you think back to what was it, 2010 or, or whenever they were just starting out, um, the thought of getting into a stranger's car who like, you know, nowadays it's it's half the time it's it's some like semi junky car with like a, a spare tire on one of the wheels, the back seats all funky and nasty. Um, but we don't think anything of it anymore to just hop in that car and trust that this driver is, is going to get me um, where I want to go, you know, and, and, uh, and that's it. But they had to, they had to create that category. They had to create this, this category of, of ride sharing and, and just normalize that um, to kind of break away from traditional, you know, taxi industry and, and all that. And so when you think about um, our space, it's, it, you know, and, and TXB in particular investing into the human performance space it's, you know, I think it, it, where it is starting because it's still so young is one, I don't think there's truly any fund. And, and also it's too early for there to be a fund that really owns that space by and large of investing into, um, you know, human performance and, and companies that are um, getting on the preventative side of, of health and, and longevity. Um, and so I think, you know, in terms of our strategy, it's like, how do we find and get in early at seed or especially series A um, with, you know, the, the companies that are going to change our world, the companies that are going to be the Ubers of the human performance space. And uh, because the space is so large and there's so much to it, I think there, there can be multiple. And so as an example, you know, TXV with the investment in future, um, that's an investment into a company future who can, and of course, I believe will create the category of coaching. Um, and then that even expands much farther beyond fitness, you know, just by creating that category of coaching um, and especially doing it digitally, that can actually expand into, you know, executive coaching, nutrition, co like a whole bunch of different things. And so that's what we're working to do is create that category of coaching. Um, Aura Ring is another one of our portfolio companies. Um, and so you think Aura Ring is very much in uh, the sleep space. And so, you know, Aura Ring is, is a company that can potentially be a category creator in, you know, around sleep. Um, you know, probably in a, in a similar way of, if you think like Therabody, Therabody, that's like the, the Theragons, the Normatex, things like that. What they've done over the last few years is they've created the category of, um, of recovery. 
you know, and so there's, there's, uh, there's different related companies that are creating, working to create these categories, whether it be hydration, nutrition, um, you know, like levels uh, with, you know, real-time glucose monitoring. And so for TXV, I think our bet is let's, let's identify these companies and place some bets and, and really bring a lot of our, um, you know, strategic relationships and, and experience to help these companies to create, to be successful as a category creator. And now as a venture fund, if we get even one of these companies that creates a category, I think that opens up for us investment opportunities into any of the companies that are going to be built out of this category being creative because we were, you know, the the first or one of the first. And then especially as you um, start to piece some of these together, so you have future, you have, you know, aura, you have levels and, and you start to get more and more of these um, companies in our investment portfolio, I think it also just gives us very much a competitive advantage in terms of, you know, our ability to connect different companies and founders within the space because they're all part of sort of our family with TXV and, and our um, portfolio. And I think when you look at it, and obviously I'm new kind of getting into this side of the table and, and the venture space, so I'm still, you know, learning a bit. But when you look at some of the most successful venture funds that have become, you know, five to $10 billion uh, venture capital funds and, and some even larger, I think, again, and we, you know, it's funny because it goes back to my journey and success leaves clues. So when you look at these, we want to, at TSV, we want to one day be a five to $10 billion fund at a minimum. And so success leaves clues. Who are the company, who are the funds that have done that? How have they done that? And what you see is they identified a space where they believed that there was an opportunity for category defining companies to come in. Um, and they invested in those companies early. And for many of these funds, even just one of these companies hit, you know, it was like they invested in Salesforce and all of a sudden Salesforce became what Salesforce is today. And there's just an absolute plethora of companies that have emerged out of that. And now they invest in all of those companies. And so that's that's kind of the bet that we've made and, and kind of in, in hedging our bet at TXV, um, you know, and balancing it out. The other side, investing in software um, really has little to do with uh, with the human performance space just to keep us balanced. And that's more investing in, you know, ant antiquated uh, software and antiquated industry. So as you might imagine, I don't, I don't have as much, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not working near as much on, on, on that side. I'm specifically focused on the human performance side and really leveraging my relationships, my experience, my expertise in the space and my vision for what it, what it can become and, and how we get there um, to be a, hopefully a, a very strong value add to any company and any founder that we invest in. Yeah, that's really awesome, Josh. Um, I'm totally aligned there and everything from, you know, relationships upwards. I think, you know, you're, you're, you're clearly doing a fantastic job so far. I think now moving on to the latter end of the pod, 24 hours before I asked Twitter for questions they'd like to ask. <laughs> so I've handpicked a couple of the best ones, Josh. <laughs> Starting with the first, Andrew Petkash asks, who was the most impressive athlete you've worked with? Yeah, so, you know, I think obviously you go right to, to Derek Rose. Um, and Derek was, I mean, just even sitting in practice every single day, he would do things where, you know, you've been watching this guy for, for three years, day in, day out. And he would still do things that we would all look at each other like, this guy's not human, you know, like, like, how is he doing that? And, um, you know, the, the thing that stands out about Derek is uh, with the Bulls, our draft evaluation process that we would do when we would bring, you know, top draft picks prior to the draft into our facility and, and test them, we'd been doing, you know, electronic timing 
especially on like sprints and that um, for since since the eighties, mid to late eighties. And so, of course, you know, Derek, uh, Derek was drafted in, in 2008. And, uh, and so at the time that Derek came in, you know, with 20 years of, of data of testing some of the absolute best athletes who've ever played in the NBA, even if they didn't play for the Bulls, because we would, you know, we would test them and evaluate them, you know, if it was someone we were going to draft, um, Derek is the fastest basketball player to to ever play the game up you know up till that point. Um, I'm not familiar with you know new guys if, if people have have beaten that on electronic timing, um, and he was also a good you know twenty thirty pounds heavier than the next closest guy uh, doing that. So I mean he's just an absolute freak. The one you might not think of is is Tyrus Thomas. Tyrus Thomas was somebody I looked at. I was like, man, this dude, this dude probably could have been a world class Olympic sprinter um, if if he ever wanted to do that. He kind of the build of of Usain Bolt, and you watched him run, and it was just, I mean, it was like he was running on clouds. So, yeah, that's awesome. I think what absolute you know specimens and real examples of you know top tier human performance. That's. You know, I think such a such an opportunity to work yeah. alongside them. Now, going on to the next, Nathan Borg asks, "When did you start the Wednesday and Sunday ritual, and what was the catalyst that made you do it?" <laughs> Man, so it. Uh, I'm actually I'm coming up on five years here in I think in like three weeks. It'll be five years that I've I've never missed. No matter where in the world I've been, no matter what's going on, every single Wednesday, every single Sunday, for five years now, um, I I run ten hills. No matter where I am, and um, you know I think wh- where where it started um, was really when I was at Purdue and 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 working with our guys there. Um, it, it, it was a habit, you know, I'd, I'd gotten into it even before that, maybe a year prior to that, where like every Sunday I, I would go run. There was this hill on, on our campus that's uh, <laughs> pretty brutal, pretty infamous for any of our players or athletes at, at Purdue called Slater Hill. Um, and it was a way in which I would start my week. And so I would do it every Sunday, just run 10 hills, pretty, pretty brutal. Like, you know, every rep you want to quit and, um, and and so then you know we we started that spring uh, and into the summer we started doing it with the boys every Wednesday our our basketball team and so I would run with them every Wednesday and so now it it you know had become Sunday and Wednesday every week I'm I'm running the hill and um, it was something to where it, it was really it was a mindset thing where then that year when we got into season so now we're in live practice we're playing games and stuff like that um obviously our guys are are busy with practice and games and all that so they're not running hills anymore and it was something where it was kind of like the the idea of lead by example and so i wanted to show them by example because of you know some of the different things that i'm asking of them and i'm demanding of them and you know i'm calling them out for having or for rationalizing you know, maybe why they didn't train that day or why, why they didn't get extra shots. And so it was something where I was like, man, I, I'm just going to keep this going. And, and also part of it was um, every single time I do it, even till this day, I'll record a video uh, on Snapchat and I'll send it to all of my players. And, you know, most of the time I'm just talking shit, you know, or, or messing with them. But like the message is the same. And it's like, what's your excuse? You know, no matter what is going on around you, no matter um, if it, because I, you know, I would do it. I'd go out. It's, it's below zero. I'll, I'll go run 10 hills. It's uh, you know, I've, I've run in the snow. I've run it, you know, I've run when it's over a hundred degrees. If I've been somewhere where there's not a hill around, I find a treadmill and I've figured out how to like manufacture the same effect on, on a treadmill by how you set the incline and the speed and stuff like that. Or if there's not a hill, I find stairs. Um, and, and so that's, that's kind of the message that I had for them and the mindset and the mentality is like basically just get it done. Um, and also that idea of just, you know, showing up as a skill and 
you know, having discipline and, and, you know, there, there's always a way. And, um, I, I think now it's just, uh, it was funny because it, it sort of turned into this like movement at Purdue where I had a bunch of athletes, not even on the basketball team. All of a sudden they're showing up running the hill with us on Wednesday or Sunday, or I'll have people on Instagram that, that tag me back because they do it now. And, and so, you know, it, it just grew into this thing where I think also because there's that, that accountability of, I'm going to put a post on my story on Instagram after every single one. And I'm going to send a video to my boys that I know, like, I can't miss a day. Um, so it's like, no matter what's going on, no matter how I feel, when I wake up that day, it's already done because whether it's 11 PM or, or 6 AM, whether it's, you know, below zero or hundred degrees, it's just, it, it's got to get done. And And I think just, even that mindset, especially hopping into the tech world, um, has has kept me going. When otherwise, it would have been very easy to 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 quit, um, to give up, to to go back into you know because being in this world, um, I, I feel the things that I that I'm failing at way more than the things that I'm succeeding, um, and and it sort of feels like, especially early on, you're failing at everything. And I left a world where I knew I was pretty damn good at it. Um, and so, you know, honestly, having those hills as an anchor was something where in the middle of the week on Wednesdays, no matter how much I'm failing, no matter how frustrated I am, no matter how low, how ready I am to quit, when I go run those hills, it's kind of my meditation. And every rep, I'm in my own head. And I'm like, man, I, I got this. Does not matter. I got this. I'm going to figure it out because I'm going to show up tomorrow. Um, so it, it was something that kind of got me through the week. And then again, on Sundays, it's, it's something that it, it, it still, it starts my week for me. It, it you know, it just, it, it's a way that it's a feeling of accomplishment. It's, it's knowing I'm doing something that no one else is doing, you know, especially the days I'm out there and it's literally, it's below zero. I have, you know, face, basically a face mask on to breathe the, to breathe the air. So it's not, it's not so cold. Nobody else is out there, and I know that. And so I know if I can do that, um, you know, building a company or doing these other things is, in my mind, a lot more comfortable and easier than that. Yeah, I think the importance of fitness as a constant, at least as an anchor point, for all the things impermanent when you're building your startups, getting a business, that ritual is your constant, which gives you that sense yeah, of control, which is so, is. so critical. Listen, Josh, we've we've come to the end of this one, but I have so enjoyed doing this and really happy we could do it. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. It was a pleasure, uh, you know, to, to be on and also follow some, some heavyweights. Your, your first three guests are a pretty tough act to follow. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, a pretty stacked crew already, Josh, including yourself. So uh, <laughs> super happy we could do this. No, likewise, man. Thank you.